Well, let's begin. The hour has come. Yeah, yeah, the hour has come. So we're in John chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 12. So if uh, you put your finger in your Bible at that, that point uh, or on your palm device. Anyway, the sermon is all about waiting. You know, we spend uh, most of our life waiting for something or some time or someone. And we need to learn to wait well, don't we? Because so often we don't wait well. We get very impatient. We don't want to waste the time between now and whenever it is that we're waiting for you. We often say, you know, I just, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for mom or dad to get home. I can't wait for my birthday, my graduation, that job or opportunity to come along. I can't wait to meet that special person God has for me. I can't wait to get that car or that house. I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait for to finish the book of John. <laughs> and when we finally get that thing that we then we don't want to lose it, do we? Because we've waited so long for it. And when that, that time finally comes, we don't want it to end. And when that person finally arrives, we don't want them to leave ever, right? And yet, there's life. But there's another side to waiting, and, and this is my concern for us this morning. It's about enduring and persevering more than about waiting. We say, I can't wait for the pain to end. We say, I can't wait for this ordeal to be over that God has brought to me, and I know he's brought it to me, but even so, I can't wait for this ordeal to be done with. I can't wait for the day when I'm not afraid anymore. So often we live in moments and days and weeks of fear. We can't wait to not be afraid anymore. So listen, the gospel isn't just for the life to come. You know, so often that's the mistake we make. Well, you know... It's about enduring and persevering. It's about now. Martha knew the pain of loss, didn't she? We heard about this a couple of weeks ago. She waited and waited for Jesus to come to heal her brother, but he didn't come. But he didn't come, and Lazarus died. She wasn't expecting that, and she didn't know why. So often when stuff happens to us, we, we don't know why, and for whatever reason, we keep on asking the wrong question. Why? Wrong question. Who? Right question. When Jesus finally arrived, he said to Mary, to Martha rather, your brother will rise again. And she answered, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So what do we learn from that? What was she waiting for? She thought she'd have to wait until then to find her joy again, didn't she? That her whole life was going to be misery. But she didn't. She didn't have to wait. And neither do we. As we sang this morning, Jesus is a man of sorrows. He is fully acquainted with our grief. Just as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ. Paul is giving that as encouragement to the church at Corinth, which is in the middle of mayhem. And he's trying to encourage them, saying, look, the sufferings you're enduring are for Christ's sake. They draw us closer to him, don't they? They give us a deeper understanding of what he went through on our behalf. They do have a purpose. They do have a purpose. There's a refining process that takes place, but it's also a revelation of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And that, although it abounds, that suffering abounds, the struggles abound in our lives, nonetheless, it's also true that our consolation abounds through Christ. And that's why in these moments we turn to Christ. Who else would know better what it is that we're going through than Him? He's with us now. He's with us now in our life. He's our present comfort and our present joy and our hope for years to come, as we like to sing. We don't have to wait. 
Don't wait. But what are you waiting for? Seriously, all of us wait for something. What are you waiting for? And what will you do when it finally comes? Are you preparing for it? Seriously, in the time between now and then, are you preparing for that time to come? Is your joy on hold until then? As an old man, let me uh, give you a caution here. Please, 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 never wait to find your joy. Never wait to find your joy. Find it now, knowing that God holds the future in His hands as we've been singing this morning. The Bible is all about waiting. Creation began with the promise of the everlasting. But then came Adam's fall. From life everlasting to Adam's fall. And after that, the world couldn't wait for deliverance in the form of a Savior. He was promised in Genesis 3.15. God said the offspring of Eve would one day crush the serpent's head. In 2 Samuel 7.13, a king was promised. God said, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. That was a promise, and it was a long time coming. It was a long wait before he finally revealed himself. In Isaiah 9, 6, he's called the Prince of Peace. And we keep on saying to ourselves, I ain't, I ain't got no peace. There's no peace that I can see. But he's the Prince of our peace. He's the one that we find our peace in. It's in him. He doesn't give it to us. He is our peace. In Isaiah 53, 5, like I say, he's our prince. He's the suffering servant. He's the one who would bear our sins. By his stripes we are healed. That's what it says. Our pain ends in his suffering. Chew on that for a minute. Our pain ends in his suffering. Israel waited a thousand years for this Messiah to come. And as we've seen in the book of John, the waiting continued. In John 2.4, Jesus says to his mother, My hour has not yet come. In 4.21, Jesus says to the woman at the well, The hour is coming, not yet, hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. 5.25, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 7.6, Jesus says to his earthly brothers, I'm not going up to this feast yet. For my time has not yet fully come. 7.30, they sought to capture him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. 8.20, what, again? He taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Time and again, time and again, not yet, not yet, not yet. Today, today in John 12.23, we finally hear the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What joy there must have been. <laughs> what a relief. And yet, as we're going to see, it wasn't quite what they thought was, was going to happen. Prophecy after prophecy foretold of his coming and of his sacrifice. And of his rule. The fact that he would be king. And yet, as we'll see today, no one was expecting and no one was prepared for what was about to happen. Huh. Except Jesus. <laughs> and that was the prayer this morning that Jennifer prayed for us. He knows. He's prepared. He's ready. He knows exactly what's going on and exactly what needs to be done. That's why we become dependent on him and need to remain dependent on him because we just flat don't know what he has in mind, what his plans are. He shares some of it, not all of it. There are some things that are still a mystery. There are some things that are still unrevealed. 
how he works is indeed mysterious. So our passage begins with a celebration. We refer to this as Palm Sunday. No, not today, but here in Scripture, this is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Last week we saw another celebration as family, friends, and neighbors gathered to celebrate Lazarus' resurrection. Well, the party continues. Party continues, so open your Bible now to where your finger was. Listen for the prophecies fulfilled and listen for the promises that are made. John 12, 12. I'm just going to read this straight through. Uh, if I broke it up, we wouldn't get it, so I'm just going to read it as a package. The next day, that was five days before Passover, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Verse 14, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. In other words, they were still talking about it. It had gone viral. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida in Galilee, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip, nice guy that he was, went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. Answered them. Answered what? What did they ask? Doesn't say. You know, but maybe they asked him, Are you the one? John's disciples would ask him that. Are you the one? Why have you come? Why now? Jesus said this. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, if anyone would come and serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. Seems strange to hear that kind of admission from Jesus, isn't it? Now my soul is troubled. He's not freaking out, but his soul is troubled. It's in turmoil. Why? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, -uh. but for this very purpose, I've come to this hour. That's why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it thundered. Do you hear anything? I think it's thunder in the distance. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. I knew all this stuff. This is for you, not for me. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. 
So uh, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? We must be mistaken. We must be confused here. Okay? Who is this Son of Man? Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you. Always answers a question directly, doesn't he? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Why? That you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still, still, still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Hmm. And therefore they could not believe. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him for Fear of the Jews, however, they, they didn't confess it. Why? So they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Why do you keep silent? This is why they kept silent. And Jesus cried out to the crowd. Understand, he's talking to the Greeks. Okay, and imagine in your head, he then turns around to the wider crowd and cries out to them. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. To have seen me is to have seen the Father. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to wait in the darkness. Come out of the darkness. It's a summons. If anyone hears my words and, and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Ooh. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Okay. Who? Well, the word, or the teaching that I have spoken, the word is logos, the teaching that I have spoken, meaning the gospel that he proclaimed, will judge him on the last day. So how important is the gospel? Crucial, essential, fundamental, the core of our Christian faith. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has given me a command. The Father has himself given me a command. We don't talk like that anymore. <laughs> He has himself given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Wow. A commandment. Eternal life. He proclaims it and decrees it. Just like when he created the universe, spoke it into existence. I've commanded eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I'm just telling you what he told me. <laughs> How wonderful is that? You know, this passage contains some of the most treasured promises in all of Scripture. Spoken by Christ himself. Not by one of the other prophets, but by the prophet. Big P. The prophecies of the Old Testament are connected to the events and the actions and the words of Christ in the New Testament. All of that in this passage? All of that in this passage. It's a marvelous passage. He is the long-awaited Messiah. That's his declaration. That's understood by the crowd. I have to assume they haven't understood that because otherwise they wouldn't be celebrating his arrival. 
right in the middle, yelling, hey, son of David, in the middle of Passover week. In the middle of Passover week, they've all gathered because they think, they believe he's the Messiah. Now, it's hard to grasp how these same people could then turn against Jesus or be indifferent to what happens to him. It's even harder to believe that this is part of God's plan of salvation. But it is. So is suffering. So is struggling. So is chaos. So is victory. So is joy. So is celebration. They are all part of his plan. You take the good with the bad. This passage breaks neatly into two parts. You may have noticed. You've got verses 12 through 30. That's where we see Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And in verses 31 to 50, we hear that now is the judgment of the world. You can imagine the crowd going, oh, goody, goody. In fact, the word now is emphasized throughout the passage, isn't it? Now is the hour, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now Jesus' soul is troubled. But for this purpose, he came to this hour, that is, to be lifted up on the cross to atone for our sins. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world, that serpent of old, will be cast out and his head crushed as God promised in Genesis 3.15. All of history is now fulfilled in Christ. Time itself is now divided. The time before his coming and the time afterwards. We're no longer waiting for the Messiah, for behold, the kingdom is in our midst. That's what it says in Luke 17, 21. God has made his tabernacle among his people. That was the promise made in Ezekiel 37, 27. And the world will never be the same, will it? Never has been, never will be. God declared this end from the beginning. The judgment of this world has already begun. That's the declaration. No, it's going to come. No, it has begun. It has begun. On that day when he returns... What happened as you responded to the gospel will determine what your answer is going to be on that day. The judgment has begun. The gospel is there for that very reason. It is prepare you for that judgment to come. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? It began with the word that Jesus proclaimed, and we all know this word by heart. We hold up signs at football games. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In verse 46, Jesus puts it this way. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. They will not remain in the valley of the shadow of death for he is with them. We lived in that valley of darkness and fear every day since Adam's fall. When death entered into the world. But the first Adam is now raised to life in the last Adam who is called Jesus Christ. Paul would later say, thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's what he said again to the church at Corinth. This should be, you would think this would be, you know, the reason for the celebration as Jesus entered Jerusalem. You'd think that's the reason why everybody got there. It's the city of David. It's where God's name abides. But it isn't the reason. These people were celebrating the coming of an earthly king. Not the Lord of lords and king of kings. Nonetheless, their praises on that day. This is how God does things. Nonetheless, their praises on that day. Like the other shadows of the temple and of its sacrifices. Would be transformed and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
their praises then, sung in ignorance, have become our praises now, made in full knowledge of who Christ is and why he came and what he accomplished on the cross. In other words, we could be there with them on that day, shouting the very same praises they were, but we shout them knowingly. We know who has come. We know why he's come. We know what's going to happen. The hymns we sang so far, spoilers. <laughs> Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When we evangelize, we too are blessed. When we evangelize, we too are blessed. For we too come in the name of the Lord, proclaiming the gospel. Christ's finished work has become our present work, hasn't it? In calling the lost to salvation, that's our job. For we've been made one spirit with him. We're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. How can we not celebrate that? For us, every day can be a festive day. It can be. It can be. Even in the midst of horror, even in the midst of war, even in the midst of suffering and sickness and disease, it can be a day of festival for us because of who Christ is and where our hope resides. It resides in Him, not in our circumstances, right? We are transcendent in Christ. The crowd thought they knew who Jesus was. Really, they, they thought they knew. Yeah, we're expecting a Messiah, and look, he showed up. Hmm. They thought they understood what he came for, but they didn't. Why not? Because it wasn't time yet. <laughs> Seems to be a theme of the passage. They thought Jesus was a king like other kings, a conquering king like Saul, not a lamb being led to the slaughter. They wanted a king in place of God, not the one who is God incarnate. They lusted for an earthly kingdom rather than a heavenly kingdom. They wanted to restore their past glory rather than experience the glory that Isaiah spoke of. They wanted Jesus to ride in a chariot of war, not on a lowly donkey in his cult. Huh. Huh. At every turn, Jesus presented himself as someone and something that they did not and would not meet their expectations. He was not what they expected. He snubbed their aspirations. He disappointed them. And they would resent it. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon called The Turning Point, at which the marvels that Christ did turned into mischief against him. This is one of the reasons for that, because he was not what they expected. Is he what you expect? Have you got a good, accurate vision of Christ in your own mind and in your own heart as to who he really is? He wasn't the answer to their prayers to restore the Jewish empire. That's what they were praying for. He was instead the answer to their need to be restored to God. <laughs> Better. <laughs> That's better. Better to be restored to God than to have a kingdom on earth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Even his disciples didn't understand these things at first. It says so right here. John says, nope, we didn't have a clue. <laughs> but when Jesus was glorified in verse 16, John writes, they remembered. Oh, yeah. They remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him, and they understood only in retrospect. How often is that true of us? 
We're in the midst of turmoil and chaos and poverty and whatever you want to name, whatever it is you're enduring, we think this time will never end. And when it finally ends, we say, and what was the purpose of that? And God then sometimes, not always, sometimes reveals it. And you go, oh, <laughs> I see it now. I see it now. I could not see it in the midst of it, but I, I see it now. Now I know why he led me through that valley. I didn't understand it. He loved me that much to lead me through that valley. Huh. The people wanted more miracles from Jesus. <laughs> bread, bread, can we have more bread? They were still talking about Lazarus being raised. We're told that this was the reason the crowd came to greet him. Jesus said so in chapter 10. Listen, if I'm not doing the works of my father, if I'm not, if I'm not doing miracles like this, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. This is a test. Don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, at least believe the works, believe the miracles, believe the signs. Flags. Oh, he's the one. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He said that in John chapter 10, which we reviewed already. Jesus did these miracles to instill faith in his disciples. Remember, that was the whole purpose of all of these. It said so right at the beginning. John makes it clear. He did these to instill faith in his disciples. So the people weren't wrong. They weren't wrong to celebrate because of his miracles. But here's the thing. The miracles weren't ends in themselves. The miracles were not ends in themselves. They were proofs they'd come from the Father in his name and for his purposes, not for their purposes. He is Jesus whose name means he will save his people. For God so loved the world. Unlike the people in Jerusalem that day, we don't look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back to his coming. And we look forward to his return. We do, don't we? We look forward to his return. Even though he will return in judgment. We have no fear of that. We're Christians. We have no fear of that judgment day. Because we have no fear of death and punishment, Jesus paid it all. I think we sing that sometimes. We no longer live in darkness, but we live in the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hmm. Now, that wasn't true of the Pharisees. It wasn't true of the lawyers of Israel who lorded it over the people with rule upon rule, who exalted themselves. <laughs> they exalted themselves in the eyes of others, and they also exalted themselves in their own eyes. I don't know how good their mirrors were back then, you know, but I can imagine, whoa, you know, am I great or what? They lamented that all their efforts to discredit and to silence Christ had come to nothing. Boy, that must have been frustrating for them, don't you think? It was even worse. Instead of gaining a following for themselves, which is what they were after, okay, the whole world had gone after Jesus. No, oh, everything we did drove them into his arms. That ain't right. <laughs> God's sense of humor at work. And they were left behind. No, not the movie series. Not the book series. No, no. Now, this infuriated them. And so they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. There's a uh, famous commentator in our own day today who said, you know, you got a choice. You can hate others. You can hate yourself. Most often we choose to hate others. Blame them for all of our shortcomings. You know, and here we have an example of that even in Scripture. Verse 20, we see that even foreigners wanted to see Jesus. These were probably Greek or Gentile converts. They came from all over the world. Some of them traveled for weeks to get there. 
despite all that traveling, their first desire was to meet Jesus. Wow. <laughs> and when they met him, he said, you know, you're just in time. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he proclaimed the gospel to them. Where? I didn't see that. No, it's, it's right here in the passage. He, he proclaimed the gospel to them, revealing the purpose of his death and why he had come to this hour and how he would be glorified in his atoning death. He, he explains all that to them. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth. Now, wait a minute. You know, what about him? <laughs> That's like metaphor and parable. Yeah, and those who are going to get it are going to get it. And those aren't. There's nothing you could do to explain it any clearer. So he says, unless it falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must Follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's an invitation to follow him. He just met these guys, never seen them before in his life. First thing he does, present them with the gospel. <laughs> to take up their cross and follow him. To serve him and follow him. Like the disciples... They wouldn't know at first what he meant, would they? No, -uh. but afterward they would. But afterward they would. And they would take it back with them to their homes and share it with those they knew. These same people may have been among those on the day of Pentecost who heard Peter's speech and went out to the nations. These may have been some of those. Now, it wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to offer himself up as a sacrifice. Hey, no problem, I'm the son of man, you know, son of God, I can... No wasn't easy. You know, when Isaac was offered up on the altar by his father Abraham, he was ignorant of what was about to happen. But Jesus was fully aware. That's something to ponder. And so he said, now my soul is troubled. If you know you're about to undergo a trial, a test by God, something that you don't know whether you can handle or not, you know, your, your first inclination is to stop and run, <laughs> run away. But he didn't do that. The hour has come, and yet he would not shrink back from it. Why not? Because he loved us that much, that he would not turn away. That in that moment, he was willing to lay down his life for those he loved, and he did. The grain of wheat must fall to the earth and dies so that it might bear much fruit. For this purpose, I've come to this hour. Now, that's what you and I are called to as well. No, no, once and done. It's only Jesus had to do that. I don't, I, no, no, no. We're called to that as well. Why? That there might be 30, 60, even 100 fold what was sown into us individually. That it might spread and produce its fruit in season. When that season is, who can say? Sometimes that season is after we're dead and gone. And it will show its fruit. All those labors that we went through, all those struggles that we endured, all that testimony that we gave of a life lived to Christ may in that moment later, when we will never see it, produce its fruit. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. It's a great image. It's a great reminder. The people heard the sound of thunder, 
I'm going to suggest that was an echo of Mount Sinai, where God thundered at their fathers before them. <laughs> they trembled. Their forefathers trembled at God's voice. But this generation that he's speaking to, our generation that we're living in, doesn't tremble at all. There is no fear of God that we see. It is so rare these days that there's a fear of God. Jesus goes on to explain to these Greeks that now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Okay, give me a hint. What's he referring to? He's referring to that bronze serpent in the desert in the Old Testament. It kept those Israelites who looked at it in faith from dying by the serpent's sting. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? In other words, it means nothing to me. <laughs> death no longer holds terror for us. It just doesn't. Why not? Because we're alive in Christ and will be for all time. Jesus removes the sting of death. He removes it. He died that you may live. Again, the crowd is confused. Jesus isn't meeting their expectations. What's all this nonsense? I have no idea what you're talking about. Just go out and conquer the Romans and we'll be done. <laughs> you know, wave your magic wand, you know, and all, all the bad stuff will go away. No, it's not why I came. So verse 34, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And that's a really good question. Sometimes they ask good questions. The crowd knew this title from Ezekiel. God addressed that prophet as the Son of Man over 90 times. I am pretty sure Ezekiel got well read in the synagogue and in the temple. Who then is this Son of Man in their own day? See, there's the change. I know who he was then. 600 years ago, I get that, but who is he now? Who's this son of man that you're speaking of? Who is this prophet? Who should we be looking for? And Jesus didn't answer them directly, because he never does. Instead, he tells them to walk in the light of God's truth, and not in darkness. He's reminding his disciples, because he said this twice before to them, he's reminding his disciples that he is himself the light of the world. Verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Five days till Passover. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. That's the characteristic, that's the identifying trait of these people who don't know where they're going. They have no light. They're still in darkness. They haven't got the gospel. They haven't got Christ. Of course they walk in darkness and have no clue where they're going. Every time I listen to the news, I say, clueless. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Remember you told them, you are the light of the world? Time, like life, is short. Anybody unfamiliar with this? Time, like life, is short. Choose to walk in the light and believe in the light while you can. Jesus is the light. He is the light. If you believe in him, you know where you're going. That's the difference between us and them. Sons of light and sons of darkness. Death is not the end for you. Death is not the end for you. Therefore, we have no fear of death. And then Jesus hid from the crowd. Why? 
Of course, they still didn't believe in him. They didn't believe he was the Messiah of Scripture. Instead, he was the Messiah of their imaginations. A lot of that going on in this world today, isn't it? Oh, yeah, this will save us. Climate will save us. And we do this and that and the other. We'll be saved. No. This was to fulfill the words of Isaiah that this truth had not yet been revealed to them. Remember Jesus said, this is from John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will praise that one. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 39 here says, Therefore they could not believe. A dunamis lacked the power. They could not believe. He was blinded. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn. Repent. Turn back. Confess their sins. And I would heal them. And I would forgive them. And I would be reconciled to them. But he hardened their hearts. Now, Jason taught on this a few weeks ago uh, on hard teachings. This is one of those hard teachings. The conscience can be seared if we wait too long. The conscience can be seared if we wait too long. That's everywhere in Scripture. That's what we're told. Don't wait. Repent. Turn. Do it now. Do it today. This minute. That's why every week we take communion. <laughs> because we tend to veer off. And every week we have to come back to the path. And be reminded where it is we're going and who it is that we are and what it is we've been called to because we forget. Nevertheless, many of the Jewish authorities, this is interesting, nonetheless, many of the Jewish authorities believed he was the Messiah. Who were they? City council. <laughs> These authorities are the city council. In Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. They believed but were afraid to say anything for fear of retribution, fear of being put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Real easy to do that. Real easy to compromise our morality, compromise our ethics, compromise what we believe to be true and beneficial because we're so afraid we might offend somebody. They won't like me. They won't invite me to the Christmas party. Any number of things we will compromise for. And this is a warning, a stark warning to us. Don't do that. Don't compromise. Stick to the truth. You know, that's why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, didn't he? He and Joseph of Arimathea and even others believed, but they said nothing publicly at the time. They believed that they wouldn't speak out. Even that was forgiven on the cross. And ain't that good news? Peter, I don't know the man. Forgiven on the cross. They didn't know what they were doing. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus had compassion on those who believed, even if they were afraid and silent at the time. He hadn't been lifted up yet. He had not been lifted up yet. But the time was coming, and very quickly now, just a few days away, when they must not be ashamed of him and his words. Luke 9, 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, meaning the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says here that he's not speaking on his own authority, but on the authority of the Father who sent him. He's given a commandment, and that commandment is eternal life. In John 17, Jesus repeats this command. He says, 
We'll study this so next year. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You have given him authority over all flesh. Authority over all flesh. There's nobody I don't have authority over. That's why the judgment has come. Because I have authority over everybody. But I've been given a commandment to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. God has handed some into the hands of Christ for redemption. Redemption on the cross. Before there was ever an earth. Before there was ever existence. Beyond the Father and the Son and God. God chose some to be saved by Christ on the cross in the fullness of time. And this passage says the fullness of time has come. So what's our takeaway? Well, let me ask what I asked at the beginning. What are you waiting for? Seriously, what are you waiting for? And how are you preparing for it? Are you waiting for Christ's return? And making straight the way of the Lord before Him? Are you doing that now? In this passage, we saw three groups of people. These are on your handouts. And they're the same three groups that we always see. Group one, those who are dead in their sins and seek anything or anyone but Christ to satisfy them. They are deaf. They are blind. What do you do with them? You evangelize them. (laughs) Oh, man. You don't know who God is going to enable to hear and see. You don't know. Only God knows. So evangelize everyone as God gives you opportunity. If it's moving, if it's breathing, preach to it. How? Teach them the gospel. I'm going to give you a 15-second gospel presentation. Tell them this. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that? 15 seconds, start to finish. (laughs) Then, then, wait to hear what they say. Teach them what the Bible says about this. You'll grow in your own faith and understanding by teaching the gospel to others. How do I learn the gospel? By teaching it. No, is there another way? Isn't there a book I could read? (laughs) The Bible. And look, don't freak out at it. Okay, just tell them what you know. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to write books. You don't have to be famous. Okay, just tell them what you know. If they ask something you don't know, say, I don't know. But I'll find out for you. But I'll find out for you. Can we meet tomorrow? Say 2 o'clock? Have another cup of coffee? I'll find out for you and give you the answer. Would that be okay? Group two. Those who know who Jesus is, why he came and believe in him, but they remain silent out of their fear of man. What do I do with those guys? Embolden them. Okay, how do I do that? Remind them of the gospel. <laughs> Duh. Remind them of the truth they know, the truth that they believe. Remind them that this life is not all there is, and no one can pluck them out of God's hand. Remind them to seek God's favor more than man's. Remind them that God loves them, that he's their strength and their shield, their shelter in the storm, their strong high tower. Remind them not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is like 90% of Christians. They need to be reminded. All of us need to be reminded all the time by other Christians of the things we actually know and believe. 
remind one another. Group three, those who sought out Christ, like the Greek Jews, they heard and believed the gospel. They repeat it wherever they go. They don't hesitate to celebrate the gospel in praise and adoration of Christ. Okay, so what do I do with them? Join them! <laughs> Join them in that celebration. That's what we're doing here today. That's why we've gathered here today. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So ask yourself, which group do I belong to? If you're not celebrating in that third group, you don't need to stay where you're at. <laughs> Newsflash! You don't need to stay where you're at. You can join that third group today. Ask someone to teach you the gospel. You got that invite earlier, didn't you, during communion? Ask someone to teach you the gospel or to remind you of it because all of us forget. Gone. In the moment of whatever it is we're involved with, gone. Not the focus, not the purpose, not the drive, not the motivation of what it is we're about to do. We need to be reminded. Encourage one another with the gospel. And then be bold enough to teach it to others. Here's where a lot of us hesitate. And then be bold enough to teach it to others. Again, learn as you go. You don't have to know everything now. Just tell them what you know. You'll grow in what you know. Then you can bore them to death for three and four days at a clip. Don't bury people in information. Keep it sweet. Keep it short. Don't worry about whether others believe it or not. God is the one who saves. We heard this earlier today. God is the one who saves. He's the one who opens hearts and minds to believe, not you. So? So relax. So relax. It's not that big a deal. It's in His hands. If the music team would come up, please, don't wait to find your joy. Do not wait to find your joy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength, be your song, be your shield in this world. I've given you a whole slew of verses along the bottom of your handout. There's one that says, joy of the Lord, and a whole slew of verses. Take some time this afternoon. Read those. God's commandment is eternal life. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the means. The hour has come to shout it from the rooftops. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, may we take this to heart. May we be empowered and encouraged and emboldened by this truth that Christ came to save the lost. He came to save us. He laid down his life for us that we might live, but not that we might live and be silent, but that we might live and be vocal. That we might be his hands and his feet in this world. That they might hear his voice through us. That we might point to him at all times, never to ourselves. May this characterize us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we serve him. May we follow him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.